Colossians 2. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That should probably be enough for today, okay? This is the word of the Lord. The shadow is the Old Testament. Yes, thanks be to God. The substance is Christ. Say it again. The shadow is the Old Testament. The substance is Christ. So what does he start by saying? Don't let anyone condemn you. Isn't that an interesting way to start? Don't let anyone anyone come to their Bible, read the Bible apart from Jesus, come up with the way to live, a bunch of rules that are the right way to be, and then come to you who are walking in the fullness of Jesus, intimacy, love, freedom, forgiveness, wholeness, righteousness. You are free from the law. You died to the law to belong to Jesus. You did it through the cross. Remember last time we saw that the the law itself was, was, was nailed to the cross. Jesus died to free you from the law. So now somebody comes from the Bible, disconnected from Jesus, and they want to tell you that you're not living the way the Bible says, and they want to yoke you, they want to, they want to yoke you under something that seems like it's going to bring you to a full life, but it's not going to bring you to a full life because we've already been there and done that. Yeah. 613 laws never made a single Jew righteous. Sacrifices and goats and bulls never made a single Jew righteous no. because all of that was just shadow pointing to the substance, which is Christ, who actually comes inside of you, gives you a new nature, cuts away the old nature, forgives the sin, Every year, the sacrifice that the Jewish people celebrated reminded them of their sin. Every year, the sacrifices reminded them of their need. Didn't cleanse the conscience. It actually reminded the conscience and made them sin aware. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is awareness of your sin. I got friends that that they think that the goal of the Christian life is sin avoidance. And so they think sin. They're thinking sin. They're they're memorizing Bible verses about not sinning so that they can focus on avoiding sin. And the whole thing is oriented towards sin consciousness. Paul actually says that that if you live under the law, you will provoke the flesh. You'll provoke the flesh. So here here Paul says, don't let anyone condemn you. Don't let anyone take a bunch of Old Testament Bible verses because they didn't have a New Testament yet. All they had was Jesus. And all they had was an Old Testament. And all they preached from the Old Testament was Jesus. So Paul says, don't let anyone come to the Bible apart from the knowledge of Jesus Jesus, and misinterpret it and try to teach you that you're doing it wrong. You're not doing it right. I'm doing it right. And specifically, he says a couple things. He says, uh, food and drink, festivals, new moons, and Sabbath. Now, if you're a Jew, if you're a Jew, you have external markers to know that you're in. It's obs- humans are obsessed with figuring out, are you one of us or are you one of them? That's just humans. We have an us-them split. Yeah, Everything's about us and them. Are you with me or are you against me? Are you in my tribe or are you in my group? Are you one of us or are you one of them? Yeah. We, we just label. We just have to label. We have to figure out what tribe, what camp you're in. We're obsessed with it. And if you were Jewish, the way you would do that is, do you follow the Old Testament dietary code? Are you circumcised? I know we talked about that and it was awkward a couple months back because they actually checked, and that's like, oh, going to church got a little weird suddenly, you know what I mean? Whew. Glad we don't do that. <laughs> are, you, are you following, do you eat the foods on the list that we're supposed to eat, and do you avoid the bad foods? Are you circumcised, and do you follow the Sabbath? Those were the big three. If you do those things, I'll eat with you, I'll hang out with you. If you don't, you're naughty and dirty, get away from me. And so here they are doing it again. 
after all that Jesus has done to put the law inside of us. Because there's two kinds of Old Testament law, guys. Let me see if I can write some stuff down here. Can you read my writing? So there's two kinds of law in the Old Testament, moral law and ceremonial or ritual law. The moral law, right? The summary of the moral law would be like the Ten Commandments, but it's so much more than that. Now, how many of you know that knowing what you ought to do doesn't actually help you do it? Right? Right. So when the new covenant comes, Jesus comes on the inside. He gives you a new heart because the problem, as we saw last time, wasn't just that you broke some rules. The problem was your nature. So he comes inside and deals with the nature problem and with the guilt of the law-breaking problem. He deals with the nature of sin and he deals with the guilt of sin. So we're forgiven and we're born again. So Paul says, and Jesus, when Jesus summarizes, right, when he has somebody come to him and he says, the guy comes to him, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do you, what's, the, what's the biggest, most important commandment? Sorry, two, two different stories there. What's the most important commandment? Jesus says... All the law and the prophets hang on this. Love, love, love. There's really only one thing. This whole, this whole thing is love. This, all the law tells you is what love would always do or what love would never do. Period. That's it. That's the essence of all the moral law, love. And what's the essence of all the ceremonial and ritual law? It's all about the lamb. The temple, the fire, the showbread. Don't have cloth. Don't have clothes with two different kinds of cloth. What does that mean? Everything is shadow pointing to Can you understand that when Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, he doesn't mean we're going to be under the law. He means we're going to be in Jesus, in him, in such a way that love comes inside of us so that we no longer live by the law. We have, we have him. When he shows up on the scene, he doesn't consult the Old Testament to figure out what to do. He fulfills the spirit of it, which means he violates their misinterpretations of it. Constantly, he, gets, he offends religious people because we misinterpret the meaning of the book. He says we major on minors. And miss the main points. He actually says some interesting things in Matthew 23. He's screaming at the Pharisees. It's the only time I, I, I really feel like I see Jesus more cynical than my atheist friends about the damage religion does to humanity. Jesus is harder on religion. than Sartre and the other French intellectual uh, agnostic philosophers. He's harder on it. He has a more scathing critique than Nietzsche. And one of the things he says is you neglect the love of God and mercy, but you obsess over tithing on your spices, making sure you don't get anything contaminate you. Ooh, yucky, sinners. Get me away from sinners. Gross. Ugh. Thank God I'm not like sinners. And he's like, what are you doing? Notice he says, you neglect the more important matters. This is interesting. (laughs) 
weightier. The weightier? More important? How many of you know all Scripture is inspired? But not all Scripture is equally important. Just nod your head. The love of God is more important than tithing on your spices, says Jesus. And you guys are obsessed over the less important stuff, but you should have still done it. Right? It's not totally irrelevant. It's just not equally important with the big stuff. Scripture's all equally inspired. It's not all equally important. If that feels wrong to you, get an upgrade. Okay. And Jesus says, how do you tell the difference between what's weightier? So somebody comes to these Colossians. They've got the real thing. They've got the main thing. They don't know. They don't have Bibles, guys. Printing press wasn't invented yet. Very few people owned Bibles. Very few people could read in the ancient world. Like 3% of the population could read in the ancient world. But they knew Jesus. They're baby Christians. They know Jesus. Love has come inside of them. They're completely reconciled to God. The point of all the Old Testament has come into their life. And now comes somebody who's smarter than them and knows the Bible better than them, but doesn't know Jesus as well as them. And somebody who knows the Bible better than them, but doesn't know Jesus as well as them, is threatening to bring them under something less than what they already have. Are you tracking with me? Okay. And he specifically says food and drink, festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths. And it's still, still around today. People want to judge you for what you eat and drink, when and how you worship or don't, and, and make, make big deals out of things that don't matter. Let, let's take just one, for example, Sabbath, right? What do you guys do with Sabbath? Do you practice it on Sunday or Saturday? And Sunday is really not the Sabbath, is it? It's the, it's the Lord's Day. And why do Christians, why was, the, why was Jesus such a big deal that Christians stopped observing Sabbath on Saturday, but started Sabbathing on the Lord's Day? The resurrection of Jesus is such a big deal that we took one of those fundamental markers, Sabbath, and we now say, we're going to view that in the light of Jesus. Now I'm going to push it a little further and say in Hebrews 4, it's very clear, very clear. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He doesn't mean a literal day that you observe. You know what he means? When you have faith, this rest from your labors to coming into his labors, there's an exchange that happens. And you enter. It's like you go from striving in the wilderness to entering into the promised land when you say yes to Jesus. There's a Sabbath rest that, that believers are to enter into today. Hear his voice, incline your heart, surrender, and walk into it. No matter what day of the week it is. Sabbath has been eaten up in a bigger fulfillment in Jesus. But there's people who don't know that. And so they're still thinking... Oh my goodness, boy, you, didn't, you did that thing on the day that I think is sacred. How dare you? And Paul says, don't let anyone condemn you. If he thought about Sabbath, how some people think, he couldn't say, don't let anyone condemn you. In, in another place, not in this passage, but in another place, he says, 
Be convinced in your own mind. He says, one person says every day is equally sacred. Every day is as, as holy as the Sabbath. Every day is the day the Lord has made. Every day is the day to get up in the morning, abide with Jesus, and do the will of God. But some of you think certain days are more special than others. Now, whichever you're convinced of, leave each other alone and do it to the glory of God yes. and play nice. Can you play nice? Can you disagree yes. lovingly? Let's take this food thing. Some of you think, oh my word, you go to the marketplace. See, in the marketplace back then, they actually had pagans selling meat. And when they killed the animal, they sacrificed the animal. They devoted the animal to a pagan god. A pag they did a demonic seance over the animal or whatever. And then some Christians saw that and said, I'm not going to eat demon goat. I'm not going to eat demon chicken. Only Jesus chicken for me. <laughs> My, my neighbor Mark calls Chick-fil-A Jesus chicken. He calls Chick-fil-A Jesus chicken. And this is what Paul says about that. This is what Paul says about that. The food sacrificed to idols is clean for you if you have faith in Jesus because Jesus is more powerful. The spirit that's in you is greater than the spirit that's in the world. Why are you living, why are you living fearful of demons when you are indwelt with the spirit of God who terrifies demons that when he came in the flesh and he shows up on the island of the Gadarenes, the demons come running to him and fall at his feet and say, help, have mercy, don't take, don't send us into the pit. The spirit in you is greater. Do you not know that all you do is say a simple prayer, God, I thank you that that demon is nothing. This was your animal, and I receive it as the... It's cleansed by my faith in Jesus, a superior God, superior covenant. I don't have to live in fear that I'm going to be infected by evil in the world. I can walk into the world and not be of the world. Paul says, now, some of y'all don't know this yet. Some of y'all just came into the faith, and you worshipped demons, and you saw demon miracles, and you were one of those demon people. So for you, it has weird, it feels like you're compromising. It feels like you're going back. Now for you, just don't eat it. You're, you're, but this is what he says. Your faith is too weak for you to handle the truth. And if you have people in your church that are weak in faith, you love them. You love them. You don't judge them. You don't yell at them. You don't tell them you're wrong. You don't get into big arguments about them. You give them space to be weak. But hopefully they'll come to understand the gospel and walk in some freedom. But Paul's looking at, these are baby Christians. And they got Jesus. But these other people know their Bibles better than them. They're going to say, oh, but what about circumcision? But what about the Old Testament dietary laws? But what about these new moons? What about these Sabbaths? What about these festivals? And Paul says, they're all fulfilled in Jesus. They're ultimately about Jesus. They, they are shadows. He is substance, guys. It's a pretty good gospel. It's a pretty good gospel. What's that? Uh, is it Kung Fu Panda? Where he has his big old belly? And he's like, skadoosh. I remember our youth group went to, uh, went to Reach. And they got a hold of freedom out there. They got a hold of Jesus out there. And they started, I remember Connor Maurer, they, they got a hold of this freedom thing. And Connor Maurer, I don't know why, but they were all like, when they would get excited about Jesus, they would be like skadoosh with their big belly, their kung fu belly. And I, so I'm thinking about that today, and I'm like, and I'm like, if you know you've got Jesus on the inside, like even, even this week, I, I had an interaction with somebody, and they were telling me, you know, I'm so sinful, and I'm so evil. I just need constant reminders, because I'm so sinful, and I'm so evil. And I'm like, 
It's funny that you should say that because it's not what I read in my New Testament. My New Testament doesn't say you're a sinner. My New Testament says you got saved because you were a sinner. My New Testament says you, you were a sinner and that's why he went to the cross. And he made you a saint and he put his nature in you. You have a new nature. He's not pretending you're righteous. He's actually put himself in you. You go, well, I'm a sinner. Okay, yeah. If you were in the power of the flesh, you are just a sinner. But if you're under grace and he comes inside of you, are you saying he's a sinner? And Paul in, the, in Romans throughout, he says, son, the reason it's not right for us to continue in sin is because it's a, it's a denial of who we have become. Don't you know you already died to sin? Romans 6, 11. Don't you know you've been made brand new? So the question that Paul asks is not, how could I possibly obey the Lord when I'm just a dirty sinner? Well, if you were still just a dirty, rotten sinner, then the only thing you would be capable of is sin. And the best you could hope for in this life is to make enough rules, make enough rules, have enough people holding you accountable that, that even though you want to sin so bad, it's what you think about day and night. You're just not going to, I'm not going to, I hope I don't. But if he makes you brand new, you wake up in the morning and you want him. You love him. And if you sin, your spirit feels, oh, that was, I wish I hadn't done that. Because you're brand new. Am I saying Christians never sin? I wish. Here's the thing. God doesn't take over. Oh, Lord, less of me, more of you. Nonsense. If he wanted less of you, he could have just not created you and he'd have been all the way there. Somebody ought to nod. There we go. Some nodding. Not less of me, more of you. More of me filled with all of you. So that the real me that you saw from the beginning comes forth on the earth. Because I'm brand new because of what you did in me. Not I didn't do it. You did it. But will he take control? No, I wish. He doesn't take control. He wants a relationship. I feel like I've talked long enough. Now we're going to pray. Let's pray. That's a good point. That's a good point. I'm going to try some repeat after me prayers, okay? You can either repeat them outside. outside. <laughs> Go outside and pray. You can either repeat them out loud or you can repeat them quietly. Uh, that either way doesn't bother me. So let's, let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love me. I surrender. I receive Jesus. Lord, I receive forgiveness. Lord, I receive a new heart. I pray you'd cleanse me. I pray you'd remind me who I am. Thank you, I'm free. Thank you, I'm not under the law. Thank you that I have wisdom. That I'm going to resist being taken under control. Thank you that I have Jesus. And no religious slavery is, belongs to me. That's getting, my sentences are getting a little too long here. Try to keep them shorter. Holy Spirit, I invite you. Show me how good you are. Show me that you're a good father. Show me that Jesus is my best friend. Show me what he accomplished. Dwell in this temple. Amen. All right. Uh, Linda, prayer time.
That was really good. Can, can, can you, you know, salvation. Oh, is this a question or, yeah. an, or an observation? Can I, can I yeah, go, go for it. You got forgiveness pile. Yeah. said, Jesus, we born again. And then, oh, forgiveness. Two things. Yeah. Can you expound on the forgiveness part? What, you know? Okay, so what I'm talking about is the nature, but also the stain, right? Uh, the shame, right? Uh, the actual p- power of sin. We call it the sin nature. You call it the flesh. We, we deal with this by Jesus coming and, and living within us. He actually dwells here. Christianity is not a religion. It's not a set of beliefs. It's not a worldview. I, I'm having a great conversation with a friend of mine now who's, who's saying that he's fallen away from the faith. And then, he's, and then I say, well, what, what beliefs did you lose? And then he says beliefs that he thinks are foundational to Christianity. And I'm going, I haven't believed that for 20 years. And he goes, but those are foundational. And I go, no, those are your ideas about God. I have a relationship with the reality that is God. And my beliefs are changeable within that. You're identifying worldview with faith. Faith is a relationship word. It's a trust word. You're talking about beliefs. I'm talking about faith. So anyway, so I know him, the indwelling Lord. That is Christianity. Galatians 2.20. It's... It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives me in the life I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the essence of Christianity is, is I have a love relationship with Papa through Jesus. It's all dominated by love. It's here and now love. It's not heaven later. It's here and now eternal life. Eternal life is now and heaven later. <laughs> but I'm saying it's not primarily about getting out of hell later. It's about getting back to the Father now, right? Indwelling Lord. But now what? What are we going to do with the with the screw-ups. Who doesn't screw up? Every one of us screws up. And when we screw up, our conscience condemns us and we feel a sense of remorse and shame. I don't care if you know God or don't know God, you deal with shame all the time. And insecurity. And how do they think of me? And are they going to love me? And am I good enough? Right, we talked about it on Wednesday night. Righteousness. In the beginning, they were righteous, meaning they were innocent, meaning they didn't know they were naked, meaning they they weren't self-conscious. We, in every single interaction, are constantly double-checking against our heart, saying, do they like me? Was that okay? Should I have said that? Should I have not said that? That's an awkward silence. Oh, my word, I hope I'm okay. Because we don't know righteousness. Forgiveness deals with that, strips that off. when When forgiveness comes home to the conscience, people all of a sudden decide that they do love God. When I was under religion, I resented God because I could never be good enough to get his acceptance or approval, no matter how hard I tried. But once I met Jesus, I suddenly fell in love with God because I realized that I was no longer under law, that he loves me and accepts me even if I screw up today. Okay, was that okay? Was that a good answer? Probably not quite what you were looking for. <laughs> you were drilling down somewhere else and I went over here? No, no. Okay. Good question. On the demon thing, we've seen some this lately and her family brought up Catholic. And they believe demons can be there. Like, well, if Christ is in you, demons can't be in you. Like, well, Christ casts out demons. But if God's in you, there can't be other demons. Like, yeah, I did stupid things. We had friends play with Ouija boards. But I don't believe a demon can be in you if Christ is in you. But they still think they need those exorcisms and things to cast out demons. So um, demon possession is very rare. But demonic affliction is extremely common. And instead of viewing it as a Christian having a demon... It's more like Christian has an, 
has a nagging, uh, a nagging parasite or yucky creature sitting on the shoulder, filling you with, with filling your ear and your mind with either provoking you to feed your bitterness or uh, your lusts or your self-pity. You don't have, you're not, um, you're not possessed, you're oppressed. And that distinction is really important. And so a lot of us Christians are oppressed. Like, okay, so here's the quick story. One day I was a baby Christian. I'm super depressed because I was being afflicted by an evil spirit, a spirit of depression. Now, I'm not saying all depression is an evil spirit, just to be clear. I have seasonal affective disorder that has to do with my body needing more sunlight, and then it doesn't create the right chemicals. We live in a body. So stuff going wrong in the body affects the mind, affects the emotions. So don't get off your meds unless it's time and the Holy Spirit tells you to. And even then, I would say, be careful. I'm fine with meds. Anyway, so I'm a baby Christian. I'm talking fast. And I'm going through this incredible despair. And I call up one of my mentors and I say, I just don't see why God made me. I hate my life. I'd rather be dead. I wish I was never born. Wah, poor me. You've been there. It's a normal life, right? Yes. My dad has never been there. My dad's like, whatever. I wake up optimistic every day. I'm like, wow, you're a special creature. That's, that's cool. I wish. That's amazing. He just wakes up happy. I'm like, wow, dad, that's incredible. Um, so I call him, I say all this, and he's like, well, he just tries to be encouraging. Not one, he quotes a lot of scripture. Not one scripture made a dent. So I call my next mentor, like three pastors. Call my next mentor, same thing. He's just nice. He says, well, God made you for a purpose. God loves you. There's no condemnation. He's quoting script. He's being nice. Nothing, no, no dent. That thing that's gripping on my heart and up in my throat, still gripping on me. And I just feel so sad, just so sad. Wish I could weep, can't weep. Just, just don't know, I don't, but why? Just, I'm so, what's the point of my life? What's the point of my life? Just be sinful and screw up and then die? Uh. Talk to my third friend, Jim. Jim's not like the others. Jim's more aggressive. <laughs> He's a crazy guy. He's a, you would like Jim. He's crazy, like certifiable nuts. Yeah, he has a big climbing wall in his place. He has all the police officers in Elkhart County come every year for big feasts where he thanks them, and then he became their chaplain, and you would love Jim. He's great. So Jim, he listens to me, and I'm arguing with him. I don't understand the purpose of my life, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. He's quoting Westminster Catechism to me, and I'm like, it's not making a dent. Finally, he gets ticked, and he starts yelling. But he's not yelling at me. All of a sudden, he says, Satan? You unhand my brother. You release him from this grip. You have no authority and you have no right to speak to him this way. He's bought with a price. Shut your mouth. This thing goes and goes off of me. And instantly peace comes into me and I go, now, was I possessed? No, I was afflicted or oppressed. And and one out of three Christians that I called (laughs) saw it, right? Okay. My friends were wonderful. It wasn't their fault. <laughs> and finally, they said, well, it's all you. you know, and, God and it wasn't. And yeah, and Job was right. Job was the one who was right. That's a, that's a crazy story. Because Job was the one who had a problem with God. And, and, and God was more pleased with Job having a problem with him, but trying to deal with it in relationship yeah, awesome. than with his friends having a theology that loaded Job down with more weights. God can handle us screaming at God better than he can handle us loading other people around with, down with guilt. That's a fantastic story, and his friends were no help. Yeah, and, but my friends were not mean to me at all. They just, yeah, okay. Can, are we done? Okay. Is this okay? 
One, two, three, go.